Today I'm going to do something a little bit different, and it's this. We'll do a little bit of a pre-introduction, then we'll get to the body of the sermon, and then at the end, I'll read the text to you. And my, my prayer is this, that hearing and thinking about and wrestling with the kingdom of God as Jesus is going to talk, as Jesus talks about it in Mark chapter 4, when we finally read it, it, the light bulbs will go on and your heart will be filled. That's my prayer, that the Holy Spirit would fill your heart with awe and, and wonder and amazement and joy at what God is doing in his church. Um, so the pre-introduction is this. O over the last month, we've been looking at Mark chapter 4 and the parables that Jesus tells there, the stories that he tells to help us understand understand his ways and his works as the kingdom of God just as it goes out in the world. And so the first parable, the parable of the sower, the seed, you, you have this, what, this is the way I'm, I'm reading this whole chapter, is that the first parable, the sower and the seed, is really like the biggest and the broadest way of looking at this. You have a farmer, he sows seed, the seed is the word, and the seed falls on different soils. And we, we said that the, the life is in the seed, so, so this is what God is doing. He's sowing the seed in the world, he's sowing the seed through his church, and, and it'll have different results. But regardless of the results, regardless of the fruitfulness or the lack of fruit, the life is in the seed. And then what Jesus does is he takes that really big idea about the way the kingdom of God comes about and the way God does his work, and he narrows it. And in the, sec in the second parables, there's two of them, I think. You can divide them that way. The parable of the bushel and the, par uh, the parable of the lamp and the parable of the bushel. Jesus really asks his church the question, what are you doing with the word? The seed has gone out, and what are you doing with the word? Are you, first of all, are you listening to it? Or are you hearing it? As Jesus says twice in this chapter, he who has ears, let him hear. Are you listening to what I'm saying? And, and second of all, are you sharing it? Are you recklessly like taking the word and just getting out there with it? And then Jesus leads us to ask the question, well, I'm sowing, see, this is the question that naturally rises in our hearts. I'm sowing the seed, but it doesn't seem to be doing anything. I'm sowing the seed and I want it to do something. Well, then Jesus tells another parable, the parable of the growing seed, and he tells us about a farmer who sows the seed and, and the seed grows, but he doesn't know how. It just does because the, the life is in the seed. God is doing his work. We do the work and we, just, we, we don't always get to know why and how and where and when God will work through the word. But we know that he does and they know that he will. And in this final parable, it's the parable of the mustard seed. Jesus is he's, he's moving on from the seed representing the word, and now he uses the mustard seed to talk about the church. So this final little parable is about the church. In other words, what, is this, what does the word do? The church grows and becomes something, but what is that something? What does the word accomplish? What does the, the kingdom of God accomplish? That's what this final parable is about. We'll get to that at the end. But let's pray, and then we'll walk into this together. Lord Jesus, your word, it's something. It's life, it's death, it's resurrection, it's renewal, it's crucifying, it's, it's, it's living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It gives life and breath, so breathe into me that your spirit by me might breathe into your people. Lord God, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts, let let it be pleasing in your sight, God. You are alone, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
want you to think about this personally, what answer you would give. What shall we say the kingdom of God is like? What parable would you use to describe it? Would, would you describe it like a garden? It seems like one of the most natural ways to think about and talk about the kingdom of God, about the way that God rules and, and works in the hearts and lives of his people. Would you describe the, the, life, the, the kingdom of God like a garden? In some ways, that seems to be the way that Jesus himself is describing the kingdom of God in this chapter of Mark, isn't it? I mean, you've got the sower and the seed, which is all about a farmer working in his farm, but it's really just a big garden. He's sowing seeds here and there. It, it, it talks about a seed that's growing, the farmer sleeps and wakes and works, but he doesn't know how it grows. And, and this is not the only place where Jesus talks this way about the kingdom of God, using plants and seeds and trees. And in fact, when you look at all of Scripture, it's really the story of two gardens with life in between. If you go all the way back to the beginning, Genesis chapter 1, that's where everything begins for us. Genesis chapter 1, it's a garden where God has fully and completely enacted his rule in the hearts and lives of his people. And it was good, right? God planted the garden. There were no weeds or thorns or thistles. The devil was not snatching faith and seed from the, 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 the path. Everything was fruitful, nothing was failing, no plant withered or wasted away. It was a beautiful garden. Adam and Eve, they lived under God and were glad to do it. They walked with him in the garden in the cool of the day. All of Scripture, it starts in a garden where God's kingdom ruled over Adam and Eve and over everything. And all of Scripture, if you read all the way to the end, it all ends in Revelation in a garden again, where, where there's the tree of life and the water of life running through it, and food and plenty. There are no weeds or wheat or death or mourning or pain anymore. It starts in a garden and ends in a garden where God has his rule over the hearts and lives of his people, and they have peace. But if we are to describe the garden in that way, we're going to have a little bit of a problem because we're living between two gardens. You know as well as I do that we live in a world where there's sowing and reaping and there's a lot of weeds. Right? We sow the word of God and people don't hear it. We, we sow the word of God and it's fruitful. You know, we could talk about the preacher's despair I don't know if you know what the preacher's despair is. I suppose it's something only preachers have. Because you preach the sermon and then the people don't get it. And you could say that's the preacher's fault or you could say it's the hard ground's fault. But we pre we, we're, we're the kind of people who hear the word of God week after week after week and yet we leave and we still live with anxiety. We're the kind of people who hear about loving our neighbor and we hear about the love of God and we still have trouble loving those people around us. We're the church. We're the people of God who, who supposedly walk with God and hear his word. And yet we're the kind of people who hear the word of God and almost immediately forget what he said. So if we want to describe the kingdom of God as a garden, we have to grapple with this reality that God is working through his word 
and yet there's weeds and thorns and rocks and hard hearts. It's always doing something. There's always fruit from the Word. God promises that there will be. But we have to grapple with this reality that what we think it should be and what it actually is as we live between the two gardens is a struggle. Because we have to live by faith. What, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? What parable, again, would you use to describe it? Would you describe it? Here's the second one. Would you describe it as a, as a nation? Again, I think the imagery is, is really quite clear because a kingdom, in our way of thinking, we would most naturally assign it to a nation is equal, in some ways, equal to a kingdom, except that we have a president and they have a king. But whether we're talking about a kingdom or a nation, we, we have to talk about rulers. We have to talk about rulers who have a reign over a certain region, over a plot of land. We have to talk about rulers who rule over people and subjects who protect. So we have to talk about, if we're going to talk about a kingdom in this way, we have to talk about the king of the kingdom. And if we're going to talk about the king of the kingdom, we have to lean into where they come from. And let's just talk about kingdoms of the earth for a minute. If we were a sovereign nation, a kingdom like with a king, then we're going to be really concerned about genealogy and ancestry. Can I trace my king's, where my king or queen comes from, can I trace it all the way back to royalty? Do they come from a royal seed? Do they come from a royal family so that they have a legitimate place on the throne? And I know that here in America we don't have kings, but we still care about where our rulers come from and what they stand for. When, when it comes time for elections, and I'm not trying to be political right now with what I'm saying, but when we get to elections, we're worried about what, what political party our, the ancestry of our leader comes from. We, we care about what they stand for and what they've done. We, we care about the character and the person and the ancestry, define that how you will, of where that person comes from. See, if we want to talk about the kingdom of God like a nation, we have to talk about the king, the ruler, the president. We also have to talk about his soldiers. See, a ruler has no power if his soldiers don't enforce it. I mean, a king can say, a ruler can say, he can make whatever rules he wants, but if his soldiers are not there to enforce it, what good are his rules? He can tell us that we should do this and we should not do that, and he can outlaw certain things, and he can, try to, he can, he can say we're going to provide peace for our people and protect us from the enemies. A king can say all of those things, but if he has no army to carry out his will then what good is he? And then we have to talk about their weapons. We have to talk about their sword. And maybe we shouldn't talk about swords anymore. Maybe we should talk about a different implement of warfare, but you get the idea. If the soldiers, if the force that's, if the army that's enforcing the ways and the wills of the king has no weapons, well, again, what good are they? If they come in there with a cute little cat and a dust mop on their back, who, they're going to get laughed off the street. 
If they come in there with ordinary mundane things, who's going to listen to what the soldiers have to say? But if the soldiers come in there with a show of might and power and bring it to bear on the people, well, then they can accomplish something. Their, their weapons matter. So what shall we say about the kingdom of God? What parable would you use to describe it? If we want to describe it as a nation, then we have to come to terms with King Jesus. And we have to think about and look at where he came from. And if you start to paint a picture of the ancestry and lineage and family of King Jesus, the human ancestry of King Jesus, then the picture is hardly what you'd want it to be for a king. You have doubters like Abraham who didn't believe that God could keep his promise. You have brothers who sell one of their own into slavery. You have fathers committing incest with their daughter. You have prostitutes, Rahab, in his line. You have adulterers, David and Bathsheba, in his line. You have all, you have, should I go on? If we trace the family, of, the, the family line of Jesus all the way back to where God takes us to, we see nothing but sinners and failures along the line. And should I mention to you, I will, that this line of Jesus almost got cut off? Isaiah said it's just a stump of Jesse. <laughs> The tree was nearly cut down. It almost disappeared. Jesus is a stump of Jesse coming from a rebellious, sinful people. And when he came, what did people say about him? This King Jesus. Some people believed. Praise the Lord for that. But when Jesus went preaching and teaching, when the sower, the ultimate sower, sowed his seed, Jesus looked around at his disciples and said, are you the only one left? Are you going to leave too? His teaching was too hard. And even of these 12 who were closest to him, one of them betrayed him. All of them ran away. And what did the king get? Death. Execution. I see, if we want to come to grips and describe the kingdom of God like a nation, we have to come to grips and live by faith that this man who is despised and rejected by people, whose teachings don't seem to make a way in the world, who are despised by more people than we'd like to admit, that that man, that God, is our king. We also have to talk about his army. And by the way, this army of, of King Jesus is, is hardly more glorious than his lineage. I, I could describe the Old Testament army, this chosen band of God's followers, this way. They were stubborn, complaining, rebellious people. That's all they did. That's all they did. I mean, they had moments of glory where they actually did what God told them to do. But most of the time, they just complained and grumbled the whole time. They didn't trust him. I mean, they passed through the Red Sea, and not even 30 days later, they're looking for a new God, a golden calf, and they're grumbling and complaining about the food and drink God was providing. That's what this people is like. So rebellious that their king has to say, fine, you're going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. 
This whole generation, these leaders of my people, you're all going to die in the desert because you don't trust me. And when they actually do what he says, <laughs> how do they look? How did they look to the people of Jericho when they marched around that city, blowing trumpets and shouting? What a bunch of... This is, these are the people of God? This is the people of Jehovah? They're laughed out. I can imagine Jericho laughed them out of the room until the walls fell. Okay, so maybe the Old Testament banned so, army of God wasn't so strong, but what about the New Testament one? You know, those 12. Those 12 whom Jesus chose to be with him. Those 12 that Jesus chose to learn from him, what about them? Well, Judas betrayed him. Peter denied him. When, all, when, when everybody, uh, when Jesus was, needed them the most, they fell asleep. And then when he was arrested, they ran away. Well, you could say, well, maybe that's before Pentecost. They didn't have the Holy Spirit yet. They didn't fully understand yet. Well, well what about after that? The Apostle Paul, whom God made into a follower of Jesus, still, Peter stumbled. Sorry, not Paul, Peter. Paul stumbled too, but I'm thinking of Peter. Peter stumbled. And they went out, this, this crowd of followers, they went out after Pentecost and they began to preach. But do you know what the crowd said about this stumbling, mumbling group? In the Greek, they said, what a bunch of idiotes. Ignorant, unlearned people. This is the band of followers that Jesus chooses to send into the world? This is the army of God. <laughs> and what about you and me? This band. This, this part of the kingdom of God, this band of followers, this army here at Mount Lebanon. We call ourselves a bunch of misfits. We, we call ourselves all kinds of things. We, we say things that we're, we're stumbling, mumbling people who, are we really any different? Are you really any different? Am I really any different than the people of Israel stumbling, complaining, grumbling, and not trusting him? I mean, let's get right down to it. Why is it that we don't share our faith more? Well, we say things like, I just don't know what to say. We think, say things like, I just don't have the time. We say things like, I don't know if it'll work. But, but let's dig, and I get all of that, and we try to be gentle and encouraging to you when it comes to sharing your faith. We don't want to beat you. But if we dig down deep enough between, behind all of those, I don't know what to say. I'm afraid of rejection. I don't have the time. If we dig down deep enough, is it not that we're ashamed? That we don't believe the word works? Could it, could it be that one of the reasons we don't talk about Jesus more with the people in our lives is we don't believe the Word actually does what it's going to say it's going to do? And, and some of you will say, no, Pastor, you're wrong. And maybe I am. But I would challenge you to think about that. Because if we believe the Word works and will do what God says it's going to do, then it doesn't matter who says it or how they say it because the life is in the seed.
Now, before I go on, I just need to do something for you, to you. I need to forgive you. Because I just accused you of not being, of being ashamed of the gospel. So in Jesus' name, let me tell you this. I forgive you all of your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Your sin of being ashamed of the gospel is separated from you as far as the east is from the west. God does not look at you from heaven and say, oh, these, this church of mine, these people of mine, they don't share my, they're ashamed of me. God doesn't see you that way. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I forgive you all of your sins in, the na- in his name. Do you believe that? See, that's the other thing. Right? If we're going to look at the kingdom of God and its army, we also have to look at the kingdom of God and her weapons. See, what did I just stand in front of you with? Just a word. Just, just me <laughs> with a microphone. It's a dangerous thing to do. What do we have, though? It's not swords or force or might or charisma or, or, or whatever. You pick your mighty word. It's not that. We go with ordinary things like words from people's mouths. Words that are not just about history, about what God did, but words about forgiveness, which is what God is doing. We, we go out with this army that we are. We go out with words about our Savior Jesus. And we go out with water that comes from a sink. I mean, the world kind of laughs at that kind of thing. It's so ordinary. What can water, what can washing with water actually do? But that water saves. Not because we can see it, but because God says it does, because God's name is connected with it. The word that we share with people, it actually saves people. It forgives them. When I told you before, I for, in Jesus' name, I forgive you, it wasn't me that was forgiving you. It was God and his name and his power that was forgiving you. And right there in that moment, your sin and your guilt and your shame was removed. It's ordinary, mundane, boring. Right? But it's the word. It's the water. It's, it's the wine. It's not, we don't, won't, we don't do it today, but this meal that we eat at this table... This wine that we drink, this bread that we break, it's not just a history lesson. It's not just a history lesson about what Jesus once did with his disciples so that we can remember his death on the cross. When you eat and when you drink, God is doing his kingdom work. He's forgiving you. He's saving you. He's making all of us by grace one. See, if we want to describe the kingdom of God like a nation, like a kingdom, by faith we believe in a king who's not much, who doesn't appear to be much, but is, who's done everything to save us. We believe, we, we believe in the holy Christian church, the communion of saints, 
this congregation of misfits who don't come with anything fancy. We believe in the forgiveness of sins which comes through water and the Word. And what has God done through this nation? Well, the branches of this kingdom, if you go all the way back to the early Christian church, it, the branches of the kingdom, even though the church was persecuted, even though the church was mocked and ridiculed, the, ch the church, it came all the way over here to America, America, right? It came all the way here, right? From Jerusalem to the ends of the earth, it's come all the way here. And since 1926, the gospel has been going out here by people like us. And it's been providing shelter and shade through people like us. By word, by water, by wine, by ordinary sinful people. So what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? What parable would you use to describe it? Well, would you describe it as a garden? If you do, you think about a garden and how it's... it's uh, uh, as we live between the gardens, we... We see that there's weeds and wheats, but we're going to work and God's going to keep working. doesn't seem like much. It might seem to be a mess, but God's doing his work in the mess. W would you describe it as a nation? Then by faith you see that we believe in a king who doesn't look like much, who has a, an army that doesn't look like much, with a message that doesn't seem like much. But through that, that kingdom that doesn't seem like much, God is doing much. What shall we say the kingdom of God is like? What parable will we use to describe it? Well, Jesus uses a mustard seed. Doesn't look like much. Doesn't seem like much. Doesn't maybe even seem like it's doing anything. But, but in the end, it grows to be the biggest of all the garden plants so that all the birds of the air find shelter under its shade. Let's, let's listen to Jesus and hear his word. Please stand. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 4. Again he said, What shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable, but when he was done, well, sorry, but when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. This is the gospel of the Lord. Now the God of peace grant you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Amen.